Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. So do you ever just see something that someone owns and just start making judgments about their personality? Oh, every time. Immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I go to visit my dad and he's like, we're going to go out on the boat today. And that is where, you know, that's where you see the real dyed in the wool Florida men and women. Right. Sure. And, and non binary Floridians, you know, of course. <laughs> um, and so we go out and, you know, it's, it's disappointing because boaters, it seems, have gone really hardcore, you know, with Trump. They all have make America great again flags on the back of their boats. <sighs> and so you're just immediately in a bad mood. And then, and oh, also, I got to say, people are really bad at naming boats and <laughs> interesting I, I i have to say you really can't buy taste <laughs> um so anyways so while i'm i'm already so i'm already judgy you know they're all like sure they're all like you know um they're not even like fun puns you know they're like God, just, just just alcohol or fishing puns. They're, and they're, oh. they're not they're not even good ones. Anyways, so I pass by a boat, and it, it's it's dark at this point. We've come back, and the back the the stern of the boat says D's knots. Oh. And knots is spelled N A U T S, like nautical miles. But, no. Oh my God. D's knots. And I go off. <laughs> I am like, this person, like, they they need to be shamed publicly. <laughs> they, they, whatever they did to be able to afford this boat, they did not earn it. Oh my god! <laughs> and I am, I am like, this is this is someone that I, I'm just, I don't, I've never seen them before, I've never met them, and I already can tell you way too much about them. Yikes. And then um, my brother's girlfriend points out they're on the boat. So they definitely heard me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, yeah, you know what? No, they need to know that they picked a stupid boat name. Oh, they really need to know the name of the boat. That was the name of the boat. It is it is painted on the stern of the boat. D's knots. D's knots. Sink the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Just get rid of the whole thing. Get rid of it. Start over. (laughs) I've heard some bad shit. That's 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 another level. That's not even it's not even boat dad energy. It's like if it would be like if like boat fourteen year old. 
Uh-huh. Oh my god, yeah. Well, I would, oh, I would prefer, Jesus. I would, I would prefer the um the what, what was the uh like the National Geographic like uh, probe boat thing that was, that that was Bodie McBoatface. Mm. Yeah. I, oh yeah, that's I, a far I'm, superior name. Yeah, yeah, we like Bodie. I would, I would, I would love uh Bodie McBoatface as as a name for a boat. If you you know made me choose. I would I would be really bad oh at naming boats. Mm-hmm. It like kind of reminds me like when we were in Denmark, like in mm-hmm. Copenhagen, yeah, that time, and like looking at in the marina, like all the different boat names that are like yeah. creative and interesting. I feel like I would, I would be really bad mm. at naming one. I mean, do you do you ever think about your yacht sona? Yeah, yeah. occasionally <laughs> when I when yeah. I have that like you know urge to become a boat dad and just leave, yeah, yeah, and, you know, sail away, mm-hmm. but. I feel like it would. I'd, I'd kind of like, I would start listening to Jim Jimmy Buffett like a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've already, I've already tried, I've already tried to get you into, uh, you know, the, the Jimmy, the James. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we stand. It's he's, mm-hmm. you know, it mm-hmm. makes sense when you want to chill. It's definitely good quarantine music. Oh yeah, no, but... I, I think, I think what people don't realize about Jimmy Buffett's music is yes, there are songs about getting drunk on a boat. Mm-hmm. but no i don't think what i don't think what you were prepared for joe and i don't think what anyone else is prepared for when they really do a deep dive into his catalog i don't think they're ready for the rants like no the beginning of fruitcakes by jimmy buffett like it confused me and scared me <laughs> as a small child <laughs> but now as an adult like just listening to jimmy buffett talk about how he wishes junior mints were still served at movie theaters. Oh my God. Like peak boomer energy. Yeah. There's just, there's something really special to it. You know, I can't turn on any other artist and really hear that. Has he been to a movie theater though? They definitely sell junior mints. Someone needs to tell Jimmy, I think. Um, He's only been to ones on the beach. (laughs) <laughs> he probably i mean let's be honest the man probably has a home movie theater honestly yeah That's yeah true yeah mm-hmm. but yeah you know you can just you can tell a lot about people sometimes just by those little hints those little glimpses into what they do i mean for sure if, if you guys run d's. into people with d's knots if you guys you know run into you know like jersey people with that or or philly people you know with that energy they just they they want they want you to know what they're all about statistically somebody in jersey probably has that on their boat Mm -hmm. (laughs) i would say more than one person in jersey has that on their boat Uh uh-huh next to like a salt life sticker oh god salt life and ron john yeah oh man Mm mm-hmm well, you know, to change the scenery a bit, um, you guys are probably uh, are wondering about this exhibit that I've uh, brought you into today here at the UCM. This, uh, this exhibit actually is built out of the old uh, train station, the Uncanny County train station from when the uh, railway spike used to go through this, uh, go through Uncanny Valley. Oh. Yeah, where we're standing now, used to be the old roundhouse um and each bay is where you know a different engine was kept but if you see now uh we have different costumes sort of set up in each bay if you can see 
Yeah, it's def mm -hmm. definitely a aesthetic choice. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's you know this uh, this very industrial brick building. You know the old machinery. I love that stuff. And then what we mm. have inside are you know a bunch of uh, glam rock train themed outfits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Is that a is that a pair of roller skates too? Oh yes. Oh, yes. okay. Because strap on your roller skates because we're going to go through an exhibit of Starlight Express. Ooh. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is um, a musical that my dad brought me to when I was fairly young and we had the CD to it in uh, the car. And that is the only piece of physical evidence that I had growing up that this, that I had not hallucinated this. <laughs> <laughs> because while all the other theater nerds were talking about Wicked and later Book of Mormon and later Hamilton, I had oh. Starlight Express, you must confess. Are you real? Yes or no? Stuck in my head and playing. Like, my dad had five CDs on, on, in, in the CD deck in, in our car growing up. It was um, Hell Freezes Over by the Eagles. So I grew up thinking that the acoustic version of Hotel California was the only version of Hotel California. <laughs> What? I um it was that unplugged Eric Clapton live album. I think uh Don't Stop the Carnival by Jimmy Buffett, uh Greatest Hits of Jimmy Buffett, mm. and Starlight <laughs> Express. This really explains your dad's boat dad energy a lot. Oh yes. <laughs> no. It, and the funny thing about this is my dad, who was definitely a theater nerd. Like he, mm. my dad loves show tunes, and I think especially this kind of era of show tunes, the kind of you know seventies, eighties, him growing up and you know getting yeah. getting involved in music. You know, he played in a he played in the band in college in Ithaca, and but my dad very much hates cats. Like oh, and interesting, but this. This musical is very specifically, you know, this is an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that mm -hmm. is kind, there's a bit more of a plot to it than Cats. If anything, this is a little bit, this is kind of refined Cats, <laughs> but with trains, huh. but with trains. Okay. Each, each actor is, uh, you know, is sort of a representative of a different type of train to compete in a race. And it is very much, it, it is kind of, you know, it's a competition. Each train has a song to come out and introduce himself. It is very much like the cats introducing themselves for the Jellicle Ball. So this is just cats reskinned. How, yes. Ooh. However, the other element of this is Andrew Lloyd Webber desperately, in the same way that, you know, cats is made up of poems by uh, T.S. Eliot. Uh, Andrew L Lloyd Webber desperately wanted to get the rights to Thomas the Tank Engine. I see. Yes. I, I was getting Thomas vibes from, yes. this, from this exhibit here. Like it looks like, you know, uh -huh. my childhood watching that show. Yes. And um, apparently uh, they said no. Uh, 
<laughs> so he could convince uh, he could convince T. S. Eliot's widow to make cats. He could not convince uh, Reverend Audrey to adapt Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> so he failed his charisma check. Yes, yes, he he rolled low. So uh, it is. The interesting thing is uh, he also incorporated this other idea of um, uh, this American soul singer named Earl Jordan who um, could sing a chord. He could sing three notes at once, and it Whoa. would sound like a train whistle. And they wanted he wanted uh, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Peter Reeves. They wanted to make a novelty song about it, you know. But eventually all of this, all of this energy goes, it eventually, all these ideas end up in Starlight Express. So each of the and you know it's it's a pretty ridiculous but kind of straightforward story you know there's an underdog train and you know he's gonna <laughs> the little engine that could if you you will. know what there's also some little engine that could too in this which oh is what's... okay basically no he's uh, rusty of course is the is the steam engine and he is going you know he wins he gets the girl train i guess um what yes um, wait, oh yes oh yes the, the, girl the, the trains have sexes apparently they, <gasps> they have gender the trains are gender mm. yeah that's okay that's problematic that he made yes how does that even work well if you could make i mean see it's obvious with cats cats are horny beings trains I mean, cats also have genders yeah 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 um <laughs> Well, yeah, you you don't have to fix a train or it goes into heat. <laughs> oh, heat the boiler! Oh shit! No, they can. Oh, no. oh, there you go. That yeah. Help. <laughs> oh my god. No, leave that in. Um, <laughs> they need to know. The people need to know. Um, I mean, because you know. For, for all its flaws, Thomas the Tank Engine never got into gender politics. Yeah. As it should have. Thomas presents male. You know what? We're just not going to get into that. We're not We're not going to get into that right now. Um, so uh, <laughs> right anyways, now. so all of the different trains are different types of trains. So Rusty is mm -hmm. Rusty and his dad are steam engines. And then there's a there's an electric train. There's a diesel train. And, um, you know, they're all competing. The, uh, the interesting thing about this is it is um, an, a, uh, a kind of uh, manifestation of coding that I thought mm. would be an interesting uh, jumping off point for our discussion today on uh, how we represent the differences in people without, you know, sort of coming out and saying it. How can you imply uh, what you want... Uh, about a character, about about really anyone in fiction without having to, you know, sort of have it in the text itself. And the thing about Starlight Express is it is, for how silly it is, it does follow our human coding because the, um, the different types of trains sing different genres of music. The steam engines are the like you know the obsolete old-fashioned but good-hearted trains they're the good hard-working trains and they sing soul 
music. They sing like mm. blue, blues soul, basically. You know, like there's a part at, towards the end of the uh, show where they sing a song about James Watt. And it's like, it, it basically, it might as well have like, it very clearly has a, um, a, a chorus line that sounds like, you know, a black gospel choir, you know? They're like, they're singing about James, James Watt discovering steam power. And they're like, thanks, James Watt, for watching that part. He saw a light at the end of tunnel. And, you know, you know, there's all these ladies in the background singing, he saw the light, you know. <laughs> and so, but, but the electric train is, you know, the electric train is androgynous. Uh, it sings a sort of what I think Andrew Lloyd Webber imagined was techno music. <laughs> okay it says in one line in one lyric it says acdc it's all right by me like i and i think very much was like you know you're not supposed to be clear on what the what the gender of this newfangled train coming in uh to this you know these hard-working trains and showing them these newfangled ways um mm -hmm. and then there's like the diesel train the diesel train is like rock and roll like like a good old Bon Jovi, you know, like sounding song. Like, he's like, you hear me knocking, you hear me knocking. You know, he's like, he, sa he sounds yeah. like Bon Jovi. Yeah. Is it actually Bon Jovi? You know what, Bon, <laughs> I, I might have hallucinated this again, but I, Bon Jovi might sing on like one of the cast recordings of it, one of the re-recordings. Ooh. He that, might sing okay, that song. Okay. What a guest appearance. Yeah, what a get, you know? Um, <laughs> if it's real. <laughs> if it's real, yeah. Hypothetically. Yes. So so basically, so we are supposed to hear these genres of music, and we are supposed to infer what types of quote-unquote people these trains are. And, you know, we're supposed to be making character judgments. We're supposed to be making, not, not necessarily character judgments, but value judgments, you know? That it at sure, the end sure. of the day, it's the good, hardworking steam engines that win, and that um, you know that weird gender bending new techno uh, electric train, you know, loses. Oh, and and it's it it's it's a it's a weird you know he's the bad guy. What really? I think that doesn't well, surprise me though. Well, yeah, no. there was, and you know it, it's it's. I don't think people necessarily read into that in the 80s and 90s when, you know, this was, you know, a bigger thing. And, you know, I don't think this ever, you know, this was like a show that was like bigger in Europe. It was, uh, it was okay. a novel. That, that I believe that, yeah. Yeah, I think between the costumes, nobody really cares about the lyrics or the implications. The big novelty of this show was that you could go and watch people basically do speed skating on a Broadway stage. <laughs> I mean, it sounds Honestly, entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool to like watch people act and sing while on roller skates and you know the costumes are I think legitimately cool. Mhm. Mm and and very clever too. It's a very clever way to get around how do you use the plausible deniability of the stage to imply a train, you know, that up from a human right, body. Yeah. So uh so that I, I I sort of wanted to start with that, and um, you guys, uh, I'm I'm sure you have your own 
observed examples of of coding that you reflect on now yeah i mean i think it's it's really prevalent in all like in all fiction really but definitely like fantasy and sci-fi and in this case i guess musical theater revolving around trains Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like i don't know like it kind of reminds me of cars oh yeah in a weird way because of just like like the implied things that come with that like the fact yeah. that the trains have genders is already too much. <laughs> like it's sort of like I feel like nobody kind of thought well, I mean I guess yeah, time period wise, but even just like there's so many implications that come with that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like, they were hoping we weren't going to read too much into it, but you give us an animated movie about anthropomorphic cars. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but th- this is this is my problem with cars in general and why for me it's never been big for me as a Pixar movie because I asked, even as a kid, I was asking way too many questions about how anything worked in this universe. And rightfully so, because it's never established. Like, yeah. okay, the fact that we there's a car Pope. Oh, oh. Was there a car Jesus? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You know what Jesus was? What? A Chrysler. <laughs> Oh my god. No, I have to leave. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my, my god. god. I'll leave now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so it's I'm Jesus. Bad. It's not Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Chrysler. Yes. Is how they would refer to refer yeah. to them. all I'm gonna ever say now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I just Again, it always leads me to, like, yeah, okay, we probably shouldn't read into things like this, right? Because it's like that with no, suspension no. of disbelief. But, like, we should read into this. Yeah, Joe. Yeah, well, exactly. Someone the... thought of talking cars and either A, didn't think about all the implications of it, or B, they did and they made it anyways. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, any of these movies, and this is the other thing about Pixar movies, it's like they take a, they admittedly take a long time to make, you know? Yeah. They are. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, it is hard for an animated movie to keep up with a lot of trends because, you know, so much can change in the time it takes to, you know, make a a movie. I mean, you look at all the movies that were in production during 9-11, and, you know, they, yeah. they, they didn't fit the tone of the country, you know, when they had to come out in September 2001. Um, right. Things change so quick and it takes so long to make art. The thing is, I remember sitting in the theater for Incredibles 2, you know, a couple of years ago. Mm. And I remember them, you know, there's that thing at the beginning uh, where they have all the voice actors saying... Hey, you know, thanks for sticking in there. It took a really long time to make this movie, but we hope you like it. It takes a very long time to make animated movies. And I'm like, you made three fucking Cars movies <laughs> and planes in the time it took for you to make, oh you know, God, the, I forgot about- the movie we yeah. wanted to see. Ugh. Yeah, it's just... Ugh. And Incredibles 2 wasn't even that good. Yeah, it was all right. It's fine. I felt- we didn't need it. You know, it there was there was one moment in, you know, I I was on the fence about Incredibles two because, 
the second the guy's wife, or sorry, sister, walked in, I knew she was the bad guy. Yeah. Mm. The second she walked in, I was like, she's the bad guy. I It was so obvious, I thought it was a red herring. Yeah. I was hoping it was going to be a red herring. Yeah. Yeah, I really was. I thought this is going to be so dumb. If It's like... Because I was trying to think, if I saw Incredibles 1 now as an adult and I'd never seen it before, would I immediately know that the bad guy was Buddy from the beginning? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Buddy is introduced at the very beginning of the movie and then it's the, it's yeah. the like, act two twist, you know? Right, right. But then I was uh, in, I was in Ecolaca, Montana, of all places, you know, as I do. Uh, you know, t- t- <laughs> town of 350 people, uh, the fighting, I think they're the bulldogs. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's sports. Um, uh, and there's this guy talking to me at the bar and he was in a traveling, um, Shakespeare in the park production. Oh, and he was, cool. he was the, he was the, uh, the child of immigrants from Ghana and he was talking to me about it. And I like, I, I still, I had recently seen it. I was on the fence about it. And I said, oh, yeah, I think we were talking about movies or whatever, because, you know, he's an aspiring actor Mm -hmm. and he brought up Incredibles, too. And he told me how much it meant to him to see in the beginning of that movie. He loves the part where the pars get caught by the police and they're like, ah, darn it. Gosh, darn it. And, you know, they're annoyed that they've been captured, but they aren't scared. And then he, ta- he he pointed out a part to the movie that I'd totally forgotten, which was Frozone sees the cops coming and takes off because mm. there's oh just, God, it's yeah. immediately implied that Frozone is not going to be treated the same way the PARs are. Yeah. And it's not really mentioned huh. for the rest of the movie, but like he, he, he was talking to me about it and he, he found it a very important scene that it sort of added to this world of you know they are superheroes but they are still living in america yeah well it doesn't ignore blackness either yeah that that frozone's superhero-ness does not you know escape uh he, he can't you know uh he can't escape that aspect of himself either right which you know i, I mean but you know now the I mean, with the cars, you don't get, you don't necessarily get race as much, but you do have like sort of that predestination, that question of, are you, is it a caste system? Are you born a race car or an army Jeep or a hippie van? There's just, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Cars reminds me a lot of Westworld in a really weird way. Yeah, this is going to be... This might be bold, but I was there. Was there? Was, there's just I, I don't remember that much fucking in cars. Oh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, okay, not in that way, but in the sense of it's like, who made the cars, yes. and why is their world so accommodating to human beings? Yes, right. And like, it's just it's very odd because they go about things like humans do. Yes. And so, like, there's this thing where I look at it two ways. Either the cars were developed by humans, humans all died out, and now the cars have adapted to their personalities uh-huh. and have just fit that role, right? Yes. And then there's also, I don't know, the possibility that cars 
took over that world or maybe it's like i don't know it's a real po it's a real post-humanist piece really it really is though like do they have organs? I know Allison and I have been talking oh. about this for a while. I mean, a while. We had a whole debate with our group of friends about this. Well, he this. has a tongue. It's it's a very, it's an important point at the beginning of Cars yeah. that he has a tongue. And not only does he have a tongue, it is considered an essential enough part of his body that it crossing the finish line at the same time as the other two cars, you know, could sway the race. Yeah. Dude, my biggest question, what happens when you open the car door? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Like what's uh, in there? Oh god. In- are there what if seats? It's- are can you open the doors? Oh god. Are there actual people in the car? Oh mm. god. Could you imagine? It's like morphed <laughs> with the car. It's not, it sounds like some it, it sounds like like some like what would be like a meat canyon cartoon, you know. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> well like what if it's also just like a, a different area? Like this is where it really becomes Westworld, where it's a reality within a reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like the cars were created by humans to exist in this area, and all they know is how to race and, you know, drive across America, but it's actually a smaller continent. But who builds That was anything? like a land estimate. How do they build anything? How do they reproduce? But see, these are the questions. These are left implied questions where it... I know, again, it's suspension of disbelief, but at the same time, there's so much to unpack with that. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm suspension of disbelief only works up to a certain point. Yeah. Oh, sure. Across that point, yeah. as soon as they showed that he had teeth and a tongue. Exactly. Like, yeah. And like, I'm, I'm a fan of when fiction just drops you into a situation, mm-hmm. builds the world around you, and you're just left confused. <laughs> like, where am I? What's happening? What is this world? Like, because yeah. that's thinking into the world right like really starting to question like we are now like who built the cars what's the rest of the continent like is planes tied into this to me that's actually good world building for the fact that the audience the viewers are creating it not necessarily the writers telling it well that that was the problem i was expecting to have with the lego movie and the lego movie i think handled it much better yeah significantly better yeah that yeah, that's very well, true. Well, there's people in the Lego Movie universe, so yes. that question is just off the table. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a problem that, yeah, it shows up a lot in different, in different. But the impl- um, the, the, the existence stories. of a car pope, the existence, yeah. the existence of an army jeep, the idea that you know there is war, there is religion, there is a. I haven't seen any of the sequels, but a. There's espionage, there is... Yeah, there's spies. There is a gas shortage, I guess. I mean... Wasn't that the plot of Cars 2? I don't know, I never I saw I didn't it. see Cars 2, I skipped I it. I didn't either. I... Okay. Well, Cars 3 also skipped Cars 2. <laughs> <laughs> he should. doesn't acknowledge it, yeah. Well, like, even in Cars 3, they have the technology to make simulators. Which what? is... Yeah, what? like Lightning McQueen has to train on a simulator and this other car that's basically like a beefed up Tesla. Well, I actually don't know, but you know, it is it voiced by Elon Musk? Maybe. But not. it's 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 like using the simulator. Exist before the humans left. Oh god, what if he's oh, their what man. if Elon Musk is their god? It's possible. That is a world I don't want to live in. 
No. Mm. But but yeah, like they have these simulators that they use to like test the races and they like have to get the best score and that's how they know who's going to win, which implies that there's what? some sort of like rating system and how they're winning these races and there's so much time invested into doing this. So that way there has to be a profit and an economy built around professional racing. You said Cars 3 was a good movie? I never said it was good. I said it was there. But I mean, you know what? I really I really got to say, I really have to say Speed Racer has more consistent internal logic than this. I mean, it kind of does though. Yeah. Yeah, Speed Racer is also a whole other can of worms if you break it down. Yeah. Um I mean, I, I don't know if you guys intended to just talk about cars, um, but it it, no. it is it is one of those things where you open up that you're you're opening up the can of implication worms. Yeah, well, like okay, it's kind of like how uh, Bright on Netflix was building its world, and I think we can use it as an example of bad world building, right? Like where Cars leaves it, mm-hmm. they just show you a bunch of things and leave you to imply bright references it but also crosses it with like fantasy yeah. implications and there's just so much that happens that makes no sense allison have you seen bright i have not no oh okay should i see bright no, no. oh okay <laughs> <laughs> uh it's not good all right i'll take it off the watch list yeah <laughs> um well you know bright Bright, they are, as opposed to cars, Bright is fully acknowledging race, but in a way that is, Bright falls into the trap that I think a lot of fantasy falls into, unfortunately. Whenever fantasy tries to talk about race, the problem is, a a lot of the time, uh, they are using different, literally different species to describe um, interhuman relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the orcs are, you know, I think they're, they're supposed to be, th- their experience is mostly supposed to be coded to, uh, I, think, I think for the most part, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're coded as African-Americans, th- but they are quite literally monsters they are they are bigger stronger and scarier looking than humans so you are you are left with this thing of like how far am i supposed to take this metaphor if you are going to tell Mm -hmm. me that everybody is equal here but you're using it with with the the fundamental uh basis of it is these are all different species that are trying to intermingle with each other I think something we also have to think about in these contexts is that not to generalize, but a lot of the times in these worlds, the creators are people who are white. Yes. So they're telling these yeah. stories of people that are oppressed and they're trying to make a point that they really have no experience in and have no real knowledge about except secondhand. Yeah. Yeah. And it causes a lot of uh, problems to say the least it's also very like mm-hmm. oh it's incredibly problematic yeah. yeah and i mean like there's a huge difference between like um tolkien's orcs the original description of orcs and then like D and uh warcraft's version of orcs uh-huh because it's it's strange like that uh fantasy race gets changed a lot 
and I'm not, I, I don't even know if it necessarily gets better. I think more uh, recently, well, I even, I don't know. It, it's What's the difference between those examples that you gave? Well, yeah, like in, in Tolkien's, it's like they were originally dead elves and then resurrected. And it's, I don't, that distinction isn't necessarily there because that this is a, a fantasy series and, you know, tale that, is very strictly good race, evil race, mm-hmm. right? Like it's these fantasy creatures have been brought back to life by an evil power. We never get getting... to know the orc. The orcs never have a personal agency. They just are evil no. and they are on the bad guy's side. Exactly. And then because you have goblins as well that exist and they're mm-hmm. like notoriously just aggressive and mean mm-hmm. in that in this world, in uh, J.K. Tolkien's world. And then you have... Did you say J.K. Tolkien? I did. Oh my god. Oh god. Oh, oh god. You're thinking of someone else and we are we're not blending two people. Right now. Oh what? Oh yikes. She shall not say her name. Oh she who shall J-R-R-R-T- not be named. She who shall not be named. Oof. Yeah, well did you know that Tolkien actually wrote in a sorting hat but then they cut it in the final script? Cuz that's That's where it comes from, who knew? Oh really? But yeah, it in this in this universe, you know, you have these different implications, and it's weird because Sauron is bringing back these creatures and the orcs in this case, who also like it's odd because they do kind of have their own motives, and then Orkai come in, which are like literally created by the orcs, mm-hmm. and then you have them also recruiting people from the east, mm-hmm. which draw from more well, at least in the movies, they're definitely yeah yeah you know people, more Middle Eastern culture people from the east they so. ride elephants. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, we don't nothing to read into there. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and like, listen, I love those movies, they're fantastic. Oh, and yeah, great, but these are things I think that need to be looked out for and mm-hmm. questioned, you know, with, with that. Yeah, I mean, again, if you want to get into the idea of intent, I don't think Tolkien wrote those with ill intent in mind, but he is himself a product of his time, his writing. Uh, is going to reflect his values, whether he is aware of it or not. You know, when he describes the yeah. orcs as, what does he say, like mongoloid or something? Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Or, you know, he, he you know, makes the comparison of the dwarves to Jews. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, y- you know, th- these, are, these are things to, that are, you know, these aren't revelations on Tolkien as much as they are the world that he grew up in and he, um, you know, he lives in. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people like to, like to use those examples as like examples of representation when they're not yeah. representation. Mm. They are yeah. improper forms of representation, but yeah. the creators mm-hmm. are saying, well, no, I, I put this culture in my book. I'm yeah. representing these people. <sighs> no, no. Yeah. Coding is, it, it, it for for a period of time in literature for i think a lot of mid-century stuff it was i think what we saw in the early 2000s it's this plausible deniability of representation you're not risking anything it, you know we saw it a lot in the early 2000s with you know uh i mean i think the biggest unfortunately just just going to mention it um we saw it with dumbledore where, yeah. you know, you could, I think, look back on the text now and maybe you could say, okay, she's trying to code Dumbledore as an older gay man or whatever. But she risked ab- 
absolutely nothing by never putting it in the text of the book. She can have it both ways. It, it no, is, and then mm-hmm. she took it a step further. Yeah. She found these new movies that are representing Dumbledore at the time where this relationship between him and Grindelwald should have yeah. been happening. Yeah. No, they're just, they're blood brothers. That, yeah. They're as close as brothers. They, there's nothing going on between them. It was totally a chance. Said, yeah. She said Dumbledore was gay. This was her huge thing. She yes. She's a, a champion for the LGBT community. And it was total queer baiting. It's mm-hmm. it it still makes me just so so mm-hmm. angry. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah. That it is. You know, I think. Um, you know, looking back on Star Trek, uh, oh. where you, <laughs> it, I mean, talking about the original series, I mean, it's there are very dumb things about Star Trek. I don't think Star Trek necessarily intended for itself to uh, to be high art it is you know i think kind of our modern take on it on, on how important it's become i mean things same thing with star wars these were not intended to be great important pieces of art but because you know they made such an impact they have retroactively become that so but but you know look looking at star trek where it was you know very important them that like okay we are showing a post-racial future where yes there is yes the captain is a white man but um (laughs) um, but uh of course of course course. but um you know there is uh ambiguity as to um you know what uh gender norms are there is um there is uh you know, this idea that, you know, you can have an American, a Russian, a, a Scotsman, um, you can have people of different races and different colors all working together for the betterment of humanity. I mean, I know, you, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a lot to be said about how sidelined Uhura is in the first mm-hmm. series, but, you know, yeah. just, just her existence at the time was very important to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, Star Trek did a lot of important things with her. It did. It mm-hmm. did. Absolutely. A lot of monumental uh, moments for TV. But then you have the thing of, okay, well, all, you have, you, have uh, you know, uh, Asian, black, white uh, culture, um, or, or I, I guess faces, because they, they don't really explore their culture that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ha- you, have, you have these, uh, the, the different colors of humanity on board this ship. But the Jews get their own race of alien. That the Vulcans are super. I mean, but you know, played by a Jewish actor. Yeah. Who who brought his own spin to it? Um, you know the uh, the the Vulcan salute is based on um, the sign for the Kohanes. Oh. Yeah. That there. That you know, Leonard Nimoy was able to bring um, to to bring that to the role. But, you know, again, it's like, but they are a different species. They can intermarry with humans on occasion, um, but they are a different species. And I don't think Mm -hmm. Gene Roddenberry necessarily intended that particular brand of anti-Semitism that Jews (laughs) are aliens that, you know, are stoic and uh, logic-based, unemotional, and can pinch you on the neck to make you... Uh, fall asleep <laughs> um which uh yeah you know it, it's it really I, got, I gotta say it comes in handy so much um, <laughs> um 
but but you know you 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 see okay when we start looking into coding it's like well you know Shatner William Shatner's Jewish you know that could have that could have been a part of that could have been a part of it but it wasn't the yeah. The, yeah. the Jewish coding came in the form of an alien from another planet yeah and like it seems to be like even in sci-fi that that tends to happen a lot mm-hmm. and i don't know it's kind of it, we don't we don't have, have we don't have time to talk about the goblins and harry potter oh no oh. i was just gonna say yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that is its own can of worms oh my god yeah, exactly does mr harry potter have his key it is like the worst <laughs> example. Bad vibes. Oh, it's the Literally best though. Worst example. It's... Mm-hmm. And you don't realize it as a kid, but no, I didn't I watched... realize it. My dad, I didn't. my dad the never first realized it. Movie again? Yeah, it's bad. Clever oh, as God. they come, goblins, but not the most friendly of beasts. Oh, it's so. Mm-hmm. There's it's just, literally like, it hurts to watch. They're literally a species of banking. Of of banking magical banking creatures. Jesus Christ! That's all they do. Like, there's no goblins. They, they don't go to Hogwarts. They don't have other jobs. They just like live in the bank. God. They like money. Yeah, they like money. At least in some fantasy, it's just dragons hoard money, and they're dragons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yikes. Oh, Joe, you they don't want uh, dragons too. That also goes into yeah. yeah. That also goes. They into had a dragon too. in the bank. Oh my God! You're yeah. right. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. She really JK Tolkien, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> JK JR JRK Martin, what are you doing? Uh, I don't even wanna you wanna get into Nagini. Uh to to be totally honest, I did not see the uh I only saw the first Fantastic Beast movie. Oh, awesome I same. absolutely refused to see the second one. My oh. roommate saw it and gave me the entire summary. Okay, it's what what do we what do we what do we got to know? She is an Asian. She's an Asian woman. Okay, who barely says a word during the whole movie, completely subservient to Voldemort. Uh huh. Or Grindelwald. Oh, whatever. Okay, great start. God. And then she just she's a shapeshifter mm. and can like shift. I'm almost positive, but then she gets stuck as a snake forever. Oh, that's some yep. that's some Alex Jones shit right there. And is complete like completely loyal. To, it's oh, oh god. It's just, but is is and it's like, a mess. And oh. she she like flaunted this around for like weeks. Like oh, I'm casting ca- casting an Asian actress to play Nagini, uh, whom we've always known has been a person. A right? snake. Yikes! It's, it's so. Like it's incredible to me that mm-hmm. she really thought that that was representation, like positive yeah. representation. And the thing, the thing she, she's mm-hmm. notorious for yeah. bad Asian representation. Oh yeah. Oh Cho Chang. Cho Chang. Oh what? You're, what you mean the, the Patels? The, you know. Okay, I like, went to middle school <laughs> with a pair of Indian twins, and their last name was Patel. So I did not read I'm, into that at the time. I thought, oh, oh, that's, none of us did. No. <laughs> But to be, to be fair, it's a huge last name with yeah, its own like it cultural background. Yeah, yeah. So, but, so like you know the, the the I I thought it was a funny coincidence. Yeah, yeah. And the Patel twins, while not great examples yeah. mm-hmm. of representation, weren't yeah. bad. Yeah, they, they no. were 
I can't even say they were good characters because they weren't in it. They're not in it. No, really. Harry and Ron's dates. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. At least they weren't Cho Chang, man. Oh my god. Yeah. That's just like so. And to go from Cho Chang, which she still defends, Mm. to then casting an Asian woman Mm -hmm. as a snake. Mm -hmm. But like, does no? Did she not think Eve? Did no one? Uh, oh. liter- in literature and in just in general when we do things like this in any sort of art form there's always going to be references to things you do if you have a snake and you have a woman kind of playing the same character right there's immediately uh-huh. going to be that question that comes up mm-hmm. in my opinion I don't know we look at too much religious art in school <laughs> so it becomes yeah. it comes down yeah. to but these, they're there for a reason so like uh-huh. for me it's immediately that I mean we could also talk about the fact that the plot of Fantastic Beasts 2 is revolving around stopping World War II by killing humans, I'm pretty sure. Right? Killing the mortals? I, but, or see, not mortals. I, what do you, muggles? I don't remember that. It's something like that, yeah. but they don't address the Holocaust. It's like really Honestly, dicey. Just aside from all the coding, I heard that movie. You know what, Joe? Bad. I'm just going to say it. I really don't want to see J.K. Rowling's take on the Holocaust. I don't I, either. I don't want to. I don't <laughs> I, want there to be like there's a Nazi, but like he takes off his armband, and underneath <laughs> there's a Death uh, Eater armband. Uh, oh God, no! You I know, think- she was sitting there oh, in the God. writers' room, and they're trying. She's saying insane <laughs> shit, and there's some poor writer there, like <laughs> dictating it. It's like we we can't do that. We can't do that. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, you know your ignorance you know your ignorance is bad when your lead actor has to come yeah. out and apologize for you. Yikes, yeah. Yeah, well, you oh know th- those I mean I think I think that speaks I, I you know that there was good in what Harry Pro- Harry Potter brought us and those actors, you know, are turning their back on JK Rowling's weird retroactive additions, but <laughs> the stuff is still there in the text and you know there's a certain ownership you can take over you could be like okay hey i was writing this Mm -hmm. in the 90s um i didn't really you know we didn't think about race um in this way just yet in the mainstream but like to try trying to fix it i think is 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 this problem because the the baiting and the the false representation and everything it it does come back to uh at at a certain level the creator is saying i don't care enough to research this further that jk rowling made a big deal for so long about how much research she did into folklore and all this stuff and couldn't and 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 couldn't and you know just kind of couldn't be bothered to to look into yeah. the implications of what she was writing, and it's it's a shame because it is. Unpo- I, though I loathe to admit it now, mm-hmm. she wrote seven really good books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like her writing speaks for itself, and mm-hmm. the fact that even though she had such poor examples of representation in her yeah. books, people still saw themselves in her main characters. Oh yeah, you know, they were straight and they were white. And- uh huh. Every people saw themselves in those characters. Yeah, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but instead of accepting the fact that she wrote this story about three white teenagers in the '90s, 
she has to just cram as much representation into those stories as possible in 2020. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. I, I just, I just don't like, I know we've talked about this, Allison, but it was like, just write something new. Don't She's fix tried. your old work. Own it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's bad. true. Joe, where have you been? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Away from that dumpster fire of a conflict. No, she oh. like wrote like some mystery books under a new pseudonym and it, they were oh. bad. Oh, she tr- oh, she tried to she tried that. to do a Oof. she tried to do a um a Garth Brooks. Oh. You know, or a, mm. or a St- pull a Stephen King, you know. Oh wow. That's why okay. she's clinging so hard to Harry Potter. She knows oh, she'll never be able to that success. Yeah. Yikes. It's um I think for a lot of people in, you know, literature that was when that was one of the first times just as a kid like you found child characters that spoke and behaved and behaved like real children, you know. They had Yeah. They had questions about the world, like why some people are treated differently, and um, you know why? Why do you know you're, you're not um, a totally sophisticated adult yet, but you're already noticing um, that there are problems in the world that are bigger yeah. than any one person's um, prejudice, and that you know that's that's an amazing message uh, for Harry Potter, but the. Uh, it seems like her own message is lost on her that, mm-hmm. you know, she she's kind of surrounded herself by people that um, are not going to challenge her beliefs. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it seems to happen a lot with different, um, you know, fantasy and science fiction authors. Yeah. Who I think mm-hmm. are a little bit ahead of their time, but not up to date with their like. It's kind of like with like Edgar Rice Burroughs, right? Like mm-hmm. some of the stuff that's there is good. Like there could be so much like inclusion and references and, and different things, or even like Lovecraft for as horrible as he is, oh. right? Oh, like boy. awful. But there's some there's certain stories that if real bad put, dude, yeah, absolutely the worst, right? But like I remember, you know, after reading that Lovecraft Country, cat. there's oh i know but like there's there's a reference to this story that has to do with a a man going into this like small like i think it was like a massachusetts town or one of those kind of like lovecraft country towns right and it's it was like you they had to be out of there by a certain time because the people that were living there had this like I guess like a weird cult thing going on. Right. I don't know. I never read it, but pretty much like there's some beings that live in the ocean, which is already a yikes. And like all strangers had to be out of this town by a certain hour. And if not, they'd probably be killed, Mm -hmm. which is a great reference to sundown towns. Oh yeah. And it could have been very interesting if put in the position of, uh, you know, a black perspective or, Mm -hmm. you know, just looking at it that way. But you know, he's racist. So no, <laughs> it has to be put differently. And like, but it's just like, you know, we want to be like, you're so close. You were right there. I mean, you, know, you were so Orson close. Scott card. Yeah, exactly. Uh, game. Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's weird that like those, those messages seem to fly over their, their, their own message seems to fly over their head. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's that's the interesting thing about art that it, you know, almost seems to suggest a world that is that you're not even ready for. Yeah. 
Like, because like, I was definitely like, oh, or back in, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I really liked um, John Carter when that movie came out. Because I've never mm-hmm. heard of, like, I didn't know Edgar Rice Burroughs did Tarzan. I didn't know that because yeah. I guess I didn't bother to research it. And I'm not really <laughs> the biggest Tarzan fan for reasons. But, like, um, you know, I was, I'm so into, like, I was very interested in this, like, whole escape like escapism thing of like oh you know you found the portal and you're in this whole new world and you know you're kind of exploring mars and there's actually this whole civilization and whatever but there's already just like a lot there that's interesting like the fact that there's two races on mars already the red martians and the green martians that are completely different from one another Mm -hmm. but still based on human cultures like the green martians being like having mostly tribal uh, communities and being very heavily influenced by African culture, mm-hmm. which already is kind of, you know, dicey for mm-hmm. the plot that mm-hmm. happens. And then the Red Martians are like the sophisticated Greeks from ancient times that uh-huh. have democracy and politics and are human-like. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think the movie took a lot of liberties with that, to be honest. But like, it's a, it was like, there's so much there. You have a strong female lead you ha- or a character and, and you have a lot happening, but there's just so, there's a lot of negativity in that too. Like also the fact that he's he's a character that already is he's a war veteran, but he's a Confederate war veteran, mm. which means you know he has specific ideologies, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're trying to play the whole like romantic South card, mm-hmm. where it's oh it was you know it was for this it was the good fight it wasn't about that it wasn't about slavery it was it was it, you know? yeah you, you know like the people would talk about it like it was it was a gentleman's sporting event, you know? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's like, no, like that, that's but already that has connotations. Yeah. But that character's going to look, look I'm cool. look, I am dreading. There's probably someone like that tried to make like a gritty reboot of the star bellied sneetches, you know? Oh, God. And like, it's, you know, some, it, the, I, 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 I don't want it. I don't want to think about it because it's like, because it sounds like Dr. Seuss had a little bit better handle on, on, on that one. <laughs> My elementary school legitimately uh-huh. used the star belly sneeches to teach us about racism. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. It wasn't very successful. No. I I've never heard of that. I'll but, go up with y'all. But I I mean, wait, you you didn't read the Star Wars well, Sneetches or I don't think what what's it about again? It's um it's that one about the well they're creatures, they're sneetches. Uh-huh. Some of them have stars on their bellies. They're sneetches. Oh, some of them they're, don't. Okay. They're sneetches. Yeah, they live okay. on beaches. I remember this. Yes. Maybe they did do try to do that too. Yeah, but I mean, I come from a very white town where mm-hmm. like yeah, are like very rural there's maybe one or two black kids in our class. I think mm-hmm. we had one kid who was Indian, maybe one or two kids who were Asian, but is predominantly white in this town. So I grew up not legitimately not knowing racism still existed. And that's how mm-hmm. they taught us about like racism. Yeah. The star belly sneeches because they had no real life examples to give us. Yeah. It's, um, mm. You know, I, I, I look back on my own upbringing now and like, you know, because I think we spent a ton of time like talking about the literature and stuff, all of this, all of these allegories of it, but it and all of the literature that came out of, you know, trying to get people to see past differences, to see people as people. 
Um, the mm-hmm. problem with that, I think, always was it always made things seem like they were in the past because I mm-hmm. think Starbellied Sneetches, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, you know, uh, Diary of Anne Frank, all of these things are, yeah. all of these things are, you know, you know, like, like, you know, in, in, in class you'll read, uh, you, you'll read that stuff, you'll, but, but what it does sometimes, unfortunately, is it does make it seem like a thing of the past because you mm-hmm. are reading literature and media made in the past, which, you know, yes, those issues still exist today. You know, there's, you know, th- there's, there's stuff that I'm, that, you know, Langston Hughes wrote and that could speak to someone in a similar position today but when you present it sometimes in the in the context of a classroom or in the context of a museum, if you don't bring in an artist that's, you know, talking about the contemporary version of this and the contemporary look of racism, which is, you know, uh, it's not that racism isn't, you know, us drinking out of separate water fountains anymore. It's, you know, it's so much, it's so insidious. It's so, um, it's, you know, in some ways even, it, it's so right in front of you and you can't get people to recognize it if they associate it with the forms that it took decades ago. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of it is passive now. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you will participate in racism without even realizing it. Absolutely. It's- almost impossible to go about your life and not be racist a hundred percent yeah like you can't you can't be you can't say i'm not racist Mm -hmm. like i Mm. yeah someone someone did say something to me and it made so much sense this is what i go by now you can't be not racist all you can be is anti-racist yeah interesting yeah i mean i i could i could totally understand that because it's uh, it is it is the cultural soup you're swimming in, you know. It's like my uh, my mythology's professor in undergrad. His explanation of culture, and uh, was there's two uh, fish, uh, there's two fish swimming, and a frog goes past them, and the frog says to them, "The water's nice today," and the frog swims away, and one fish turns to the other and says, "What the hell is water?" <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, too, it's, like, it's interesting to see now, like, mm-hmm. you know, in 2020, mm-hmm. how, I think, we, you know, you brought that up with the Incredibles and with animation and stuff, how things take, you know, art takes a while to make and process. Mm-hmm. And now we have, like, what, six new Avatar movies allegedly coming out with a sequel promised soon. Oh, I love Avatar. Like, I love Avatar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're talking. Oh. 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 I was going to I knew there was a Netflix adaptation coming. I didn't know what to get movies. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, fine. Other- fine. Tell us about the Navi, Joe. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you want to hear okay, about Okay, I'm this- just going to I'm just Tell me when to come back on. <laughs> <laughs> we lost Allison. <laughs> oh no! I this is a movie that you know in two thousand what nine or ten? I think it's ten, right? Or is it earlier? Than I that? don't know. Does in it, the two thousands, does it right? matter? 
<laughs> it's really. Care. I mean, it's what? It's like it's it's renowned for its 2000, revolution. Two thousand and two. It looked to two thousand. I'm gonna say yeah. two thousand to two to two thousand and maybe eleven blur together. Honestly, yeah. But you know, that it's referenced all just one year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people want to talk yeah. about twenty twenty being a long year. No, oh, <laughs> try a decade in a year. <laughs> but you know, this is a movie that I think it 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 happened, and let it rest. Yeah, and let it be. I mean, it's referenced to colonialism and imperialism, and it's coding, if you will, within a different world. And how we repeat that? Yeah, the, uh, so the white a, savior complex. Oh my oh, god! Yeah. yeah, and like, look, we can get into the the issues with this movie all we want, but the fact that like we are beginning to kind of realize, I think, um, things that we take in, be it fictional with sci-fi and fantasy, as mm-hmm. you know, what's problematic and what's not. We're re recontextualizing, reanalyzing yeah. things, and now we have a movie that's coming back that. Allegedly, right? Yeah, the sequel that we don't they, need. Had they announced the sequel like a couple years after the first movie, right? Yeah, and then it's like been they like keep like piping 10 it up. Years. I heard someone. Like a, I heard someone say like that James Cameron is like just keeps putting them off. Like he doesn't want to. Yeah, make them. as he should. Yeah, yeah, because like it, it doesn't need to be made. No one cares. What would, and rightfully so. Someone, no one. Someone care. would have cared if it came out two years after the first one. It's exactly, been, but, but it's been far more than two years. But hey, it's James Cameron. Maybe the second one is way better and way more memorable, like Terminator Two. Ooh, yeah, mm. very true. But like, do we really want to like take? No, that I don't want to know no. where he goes. With it. I have absolutely. <laughs> we're, not that, we're not rolling that. I have. Before. I have no interest to know where that goes. I mean, you know, the thing is. You know what's you know what's so um I, I think the thing that feels so off about Avatar is as as a concept because you see it and you immediately know what it is that the the blue aliens are supposed to be you know indigenous Americans you know they're very thinly veiled you know they have this magical connection to nature um yep but like imagine a better movie stay with me stay with me imagine a better movie (laughs) where you know where you actually saw a little bit more of of how stuff really did happen um in america's expansion west which you know some of it there there were definitely the instances of the straight up slaughter but like Mm -hmm. yeah what if you had something that you know showed the more insidious side of American expansion mm-hmm. where you come in, present yourself as trade partners, you establish uh, settlements, you have people that are, you know, getting along and coexisting as neighbors. Um, you know, you're both benefiting from trade, but little by little you're eating away at um, at uh, the indigenous population's own capital in in their natural mm-hmm. resources yeah. imagine if you know if it was you know not necessarily about america uh moving in and obliterating the native americans you know imagine if it was just yeah. you know a more broad exploration of colonialism where you come in with um for whatever reason a a 
a military advantage, but you present yourself as, no, we're going to trade with you. We're going to save your soul if you convert to our religion. It, we're going to civilize you. And yeah, because that really has been because th that's been the other death uh, that Native Americans, living Native Americans have felt, you know, not um, just the, the, the human uh, life loss, but the, the assimilation has been so painful. Mm -hmm. the, the slow burn of, yeah. of more and more settlers moving into an area and before you, you, before you know it, you're, you've lost your, you've lost your country. Like, there's not necessarily, you know, there, there were, there would have been a better way to do it. You could have updated it. You could have, up you didn't have to yeah. just make a movie that felt like it could have been made in, you know, in the 20th century. You know, there was, mm -hmm. there was an mm -hmm. opportunity to update the Western narrative, the, the narrative of, I mean, of, of uh, colonizers and colonized. I feel like this country is always going to fight against updating that narrative. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's just going to be a constant fight. Like time to bring up TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen native people on any of my social media feeds until TikTok. Whoa. Like straight up. And now like, at, like it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I, it's so incredible. Mm -hmm. to me that I like grew up like I knew we learned about it in school mm -hmm. well, whatever we actually did learn about mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like oh you know the native people they we they gave us some land and we were kind of mean to them but now we're friends mm. and we live on reservations and it's yeah. fine mm, no. and 2020 has I think for a lot of people it's it's a little too late mm-hmm it's unfortunate that we've it t it took us until 2020 to really start this like revolution, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just it's so it's sad. Like it took yeah. TikTok for me to learn about native cultures when mm -hmm. we a hundred percent should have been learning about this in school, but that would just be admitting that mm -hmm. gentrification happened. I will say mm -hmm. this, like so. I went to a Catholic school for my elementary years. Oof. And for the most part, it was bad. But, like, it's <laughs> it's weird. Like, um, it's so it was so weird because I can't even be mad at it. Like, we learned how to, like, long divide and multiplication tables, like, the original way and no lattice or any of the other stuff they tried to do in public school, oh, which would have just confused everybody, right? Oh, my God. I don't but, know how to do long multiplication. Yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> and, like, lattice I'm bad at... <laughs> Yeah, and like I'm glad I'd have to do that. I'm bad at math anyway, mm -hmm. but at least I learned. I had, to, you know, but so they they banned books. You couldn't read the Golden Compass. You couldn't read certain ones in the library. Whoa. I just went and read them anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was always uh, they like they really banned books. They did. Yeah, 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 yeah. You couldn't read Holy the shit. the Golden Compass. That was the big one. Mm -hmm. uh, I watched the movie anyway, but it was it was good. <laughs> but but um, mm -hmm. the thing that in I remember in fourth grade that we learned was about the Native American tribes and cultures in New Jersey. Mm. like where really? we were living what yeah, yeah which was very strange to me we never talked about it but in social studies it was like here you're actually on this land you are on lenape land and mm -hmm. they had the uh, the iroquois confederacy wow. and we got to learn all about how 
intricate it was and it wasn't just you know yeah. tribes communicating with nature and yeah. hanging out because they weren't you know, like ta- they weren't like they weren't putting their hands on trees and talking to yeah it wasn't Pocahontas singing with all the colors they weren't taking oh, they God. weren't taking their weird dreadlock tendrils and connecting them to yeah. the horses and or wait oh, I'm, I'm like it was who thought of that I don't even know well that's the thing <laughs> like that, that, was that a good idea. James James we're looking at you <laughs> But again, that that movie helps that narrative, right? But I was yeah. taught in mm-hmm. a young age that uh, no, there's a lot more complexity that happened in the Americas. That yeah. uh, history and and yeah. the public school system and in general, I think the American narratives to hide that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's you're right, Allison, in a way too that it really has taken that long. And I again, it's it's ironic because like I learned this in fourth grade, I then go to the public school system and in high school, you know, our, our high schools are in the district were all named after Native American tribes. And yeah. guess what? Uh, we never learned about them unless you were in like yeah. AP world history and asked. Right. Well, don't you go so, to, you went to Cherokee High School, I went right? to Cherokee High School, oh. home of the Chiefs. Oh. And they refused to acknowledge it being racist. Oh. Dude. Yep. Also, I've been sued. I've been sued many times. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, the Lenape School District because it's honoring. Oh wow! That's... Yeah, yeah. Again, different rant for a different time. But I, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. in terms of yeah. fitting with Avatar, the Blue People, uh-huh. um, yikes. But I think there's a case to be made for Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh, thank God! Thank God! That yeah. movie. That, that, mov- yeah, that movie sucked. Oh, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you know what didn't though? The TV show. Oh, there was a TV show? There was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It had three seasons? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. a spin-off. Oh, and a yeah. spin-off, yeah. Legend of Korra. No, of course. Avatar is Avatar is great and it for the most part holds up. But you know Oh yeah. You you have Okay, so you have coding in Avatar. Um mm-hmm. where they make them all humans, which is a great big step. Yeah. <laughs> <You know. laughs> we don't have to we don't have to learn that like momo is supposed to momo represents the vietnamese or something oh my god oh god could you imagine jesus i mean i guess that you know i sometimes like i can appreciate a movie with like you know a kind of metaphor like that i mean like that's that's what i kind of love about kong skull island which, mm. you know, it's, I guess Kong is supposed to represent the the Viet Cong. Oh, that's kind of stupid, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as, as, a, I mean, yeah. as a Vietnam metaphor, it works, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah. but to Avatar's credit, you know, the, they, they do reference different uh, East Asian cultures in in kind of an interesting way by kind of like they they circumvent the normal problems by placing it in another world and Mm -hmm. by making everyone human Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's that is one of the shows that i think influenced me so much Mm -hmm. as a kid growing up because i watched it at such a young age Mm -hmm. and like you know, I think I think like some of the people I've met have drawn like are interested in like Asian culture by like anime as an introduction. Yeah. 
it was very much the opposite for me. Well, I guess if you consider Avatar an anime, I don't, but it's mm-hmm. it's a cartoon. It's, it takes inspiration from anime. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I've, but... I've heard from many a weeb that it does not count as anime <laughs> because it was not no. made in Japan. Exactly. Well, like I, mean, I always you used to love keep anime short. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I used to always love like on Nick when they would actually show like the martial arts behind it. Yeah, that was oh, interesting. Like yeah. how Definitely. how each bending it was formed and the re- the research taken <laughs> into it. The yeah, how the world is built out, how they borrow but also reference and and um respect the cultures that are. Well, for me, in, for me, I mean, in the show, I mean, I think like, I I think the the third season which I, I kind of saw later. I, I think I fell off. I don't know why I never saw the third season while it was airing, but like seeing the third season where they, they humanize the fire nation. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, oh. you know, they, they very clearly, um, you know, the fire nation I think is definitely taking a lot of inspiration from Imperial Japan, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. It's, oh yeah. It's, it's yeah, an yeah. Island. It's uh colonialist in its intentions. It has, you know, a, a technological advantage. Um, you know, and that's, that's an interesting side of colonialism that we don't normally see. I think normally in media, we see colonizers, uh, as the British, the Americans or the French, for the most part, mm-hmm. or, or the Spanish, I guess too, but, but you know, mm-hmm. Euro- yeah. Eurocentric, yeah. Eurocentric stories of colonization. Yeah, that's, yeah, that would be very true. I mean, yeah, because there's that reference of to if the Earth Kingdom is representing China mm-hmm. and then what uh, the Fire Nation does there, which is, I guess, reflecting that as well with Imperial Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's done in such a way, though, that again, it becomes that greater metaphor. They don't have to outright say it, yeah. right? They don't have to describe it that way. It's coded in a way that works, yeah. arguably, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. even just like native representation, mm-hmm. in- Inuit representation is is there, and mm-hmm. it, it's I, I yeah. think for the time, and, and you don't you don't need to think about you don't need to sit there and think. Wait a minute, there's 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 no one living at the South Pole. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, a suspension of disbelief that works. <laughs> but but that but that you go across that world and people are not blindly loyal to the ideals of their country, but their values mm-hmm. are clearly influenced based on what they grew up with. Well, yeah, the propaganda in that show. Yeah. Um, there's no Especially war in the third season. Mm-hmm. Like you, the, they spend the entire first two seasons, like setting up like the fire nation as this like horrible evil enemy mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they're all murderers and monsters. And then they get there and Aang goes to school and yeah. he sees how these kids are taught. Yeah. And yeah, that was my first, like kind of, I remember this specifically mm-hmm. when I saw those kids doing that pledge to the fire Lord, I was like, wait a minute. Ooh. that sounds familiar mm-hmm. i don't yep. like this yeah yeah but i mean we i think i think the other thing about coding that goes beyond cultural or or racial coding is we're supposed to um see the type of person you know uh mm. you know i i think i think a lot about 
clothing with with coding you know mm-hmm. yeah um and you know going to school in montana where you're in a red state but you're going mm-hmm. you're you're in a college town so you're surrounded by a uh, a lot of different values people coming from a lot of different places you know that's a msu is a school where you know you have uh people from the west coast that are going to film school there um and you know everybody hates them because you know they (laughs) (laughs) you know they're from seattle and la and they uh you know they, they come into montana and they're like oh my god everything's so cheap and there's no sales tax you know, uh, um, <laughs> you know, and you know, they, they and then, you know, there's there, there weren't really a lot of people from the East Coast, but uh, like myself. But um, I mean, my my whole thing was while I was going to school there was I would do a lot of guessing as to what people's associations were or more like even what their major was based on like when you're in the snow, what type of boots are they wearing? You know, oh. if they're wearing cowboy boots, ag kits, you know, they're, they're all about that. Uh, you know, they, um, <laughs> they, they, they want you to, you know, they're wearing camo. They want you to know they're, oh. they're, they're, go- they're going to school to, to learn agriculture and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, and and then there's a judgment on on my part as a snooty East Coaster as to what their political <laughs> opinions are. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then you know, there's art students or like you know they're going to be in the Blundstones and in the Doc Martens. You know, depending on how punk they are, like ceramics people, <laughs> ceramics people definitely Blundstones. Oh yeah. Um, you know, if they're really hippy dippy, they're you know socks and Birkenstocks in the snow. Oh, okay. I bold. don't like being called out like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I've done that on more than one occasion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but you not getting a winter you know, coat. They're, they're wearing they're wearing. Hey, listen, my <laughs> jean jacket's just fine, Joe. <laughs> All I need. I don't even know what I just stepped into there. Um. <laughs> But, you know, they're wearing, they, they wear Keens, they go to REI, maybe they're a geology major, they like hiking, you know, it, it's, it's all, mm-hmm. people are wearing these things, not only for the practicality of wearing clothing, but I, th- you know, I think we forget clothing is an opportunity to kind of signal to like-minded people. I've, I, I think growing up, I think in in my experience, you know, you think of clothing that anybody who's any sort of orthodox religion, you know, where they they have something they have to wear. I think you hear that and you think it's oppressive, mm-hmm. but I think in and and in some cases it can be, especially you know when it comes to uh, to, to women um, mm-hmm. uh, and and gender norms. But at the same time, um, that clothing is incredibly useful to kind of to signal to other people who are in that particular um, sect of religion, you know, learning that you're not wearing your traditional clothing to isolate yourself from everyone else. You are wearing Mm -hmm. 
those garments to signal to other people in your in your group. It's uh you know there's there are there are many different ways to kind of to to use clothing to to code yourself. You know I think you know I I, th- I think as as people with art backgrounds we certainly do that. Joe you have your obscure graphic tees. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> But, you know, don't, don't you get that, you get that, that satisfaction of like, if somebody recognizes yeah. something, if someone's like, oh, that's a cool coat, you know, like, and I mean, then you can get into a whole thing of like, you know, uh, you hmm. know, uh, how, you know, you might want to signal your sexuality to other people, like not even as an invitation, yeah. but just as a, I'm wearing something slightly alternative. So I might sure. not be cis or heterosexual, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, look, I have my Spirited Away shirt that I've owned for, like, six years now that doesn't even exist anymore. Mm. Congrats. Yeah, Yeah. Allison knows because I've worn it so many times. (laughs) Every day. We hang out. Every day. It's a cool shirt. I like it. I like it, too. It's like my ultimate aesthetic shirt, mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. like, like she does this too because I went to when I was visiting with our friends up where Allison lives. Um, you know, we went to a Chipotle, and I'm wearing this shirt, and like some, I think the like the the girl at the cash register was like, "Oh, I really like your shirt," and I was like, "Oh, thank you so much." You know, and I was like having a field day because I love that. <laughs> um, and like, of course, everybody makes fun of me for it because you know I was it. It's just kind of funny because that always happens. Because it's like, you know, I'll wear this, like, you know, my specific shirt, yeah. whether it be the Spirit Away one, or even my, like, my uh, my Hero Academia oh, shirt yeah. that I have that, you know, yeah. you've seen me wear that in Italy. And, like, you'll get the nod. Like, I, mm-hmm, I was walking mm-hmm. around, you know, someone in in, uh, in Florence, and this one guy kind of looked at me, and he gave me a nod. Yeah. And I was, like, really confused. I was really confused for a hot second. And then I realized, oh, they probably watched the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're also <laughs> weak they get it like you know it takes a minute but yeah I, it's it is interesting how like clothing can do that it's just like how you know the costumes we're looking at here too from starlight express will indicate that mm-hmm. will indicate different um you know what those what trains they're all about these humanoids train they're what what they're all about yeah 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 oh man <laughs> yeah it is interesting to me though that the androgynous train is the bad guy yeah what's up with that well you know there was that there was that period androgyny has been villainized for the longest time especially Mm -hmm. in like um musical theater Mm -hmm. in animation it's just it had something to do with like hollywood in general like if you were gonna have someone gay coded Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. queer coded they had to be the bad guy yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, there's, but then again, that realm of, you know, maybe not necessarily at the top, the people making decisions and everything, but yeah. you definitely have like all of these artists that are, you know, uh, queer or taking part in queer culture. And, uh, you know, they are next to that world. I mean, look at Rocky Horror, which, you know, does, yeah. does not, it is, there's clearly so much fun being had in, you know, the the performative evil of, you know, the, the bad guy is, you know, trying to corrupt these two, you know, straight-laced uh, kids. 
Um, but there's sort of a fun in that. There's sort of a recognition of like, you know, yeah. look, looking especially at Disney films, you know, uh, oh, yeah. Scar and Ursula, you know, the, these characters that have, I think, some queer coding to them. And certainly the people making them were well aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, Ursula yeah. was modeled after a dragon. Yeah, yeah. So. She's, she's modeled after Divine. Um, yeah. It's... Um, I, th- I think people in that situation kind of, they, they love the performance of it, they love the camp of it, because it is kind of, y- you know, I, th- I think if you are in a position of oppression, you know, that kind of, that kind of disruption and that kind of like getting to play the villain, it, you know, might appeal to some people as fun. One, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think one thing is um, in the 80s, when you see some of this stuff, I I take it as a rejection of disco. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. Oh boy. Um there there's a there's an episode of the Flop House where they're talking about this movie called The Apple. Um <gasps> uh, Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, Joe knows what Apple. I'm talking about. Allison, have you ever heard of me The too. Apple? <laughs> no. Do I want to? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um that actually Tra- Travis McElroy was on this episode. Yeah, Travis McElroy was on this episode and one of the okay. one of the yeah, one of the uh one of the things that um Elliot Kalen who's who's on that uh podcast one of the things he kind of pointed out was this movie is um the bad guys in it are very clearly euro the a a a coded they're coded as eurovision. And the people who the bad guys have catchy dance beat pop songs and the good guys play like folk rock and it's very much you know uh i think disco really uh, got you know um trashed because it was you know in our in our cultural evaluation at the time it was uh, a music genre that uh where the stars were campy they weren't uh they weren't all white they weren't all men they weren't all straight um as opposed to you know the sort of gentrification that i think had happened in rock at that point where um the big rock stars you know at the time you know that that were definitely solidly more in rock as opposed to like pop mainstream pop Mm -hmm. but like you know that had you know that kind that kind of was you know the realm of uh white british men you know it, that yeah. that was kind of oh, the yeah. era that is what you know rock had that was the face of rock the face of rock was not you know um chuck berry the face was mm-hmm. uh you know um robert plant and roger daltrey yeah i, th- I think in a movie like that you see you see people wanting to reject disco because it does seem like uh, it, it does it it poses a, a more of a disruption to that. It's like like you ever see Freaks and Geeks? Mm. That that's that's like a theme mm. or just something that comes up in that show with yeah. Seth Rogen mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, James Franco and everybody else. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say it. I like disco. Sue me. <laughs> 
It's good. It's good. You know what? I get to dance. It's different. We get them synthesizers in it. It's nice. Rock's cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, classic yeah, yeah. rock's great. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's time for change. Let's let's be real, though. Classic rock, while wonderful, is a bit overrated. I mean, yeah, because yeah. there's, like, how many bands at the time, right? Yeah. Well, hey, you know, you had such great diversity where, you know, you had... Uh, you had uh, a, the the two biggest uh, experimental rock groups were a group of four English uh, musicians with uh, long curly blonde haired lead singers uh, with one guitar player, uh, one bassist, and one drummer. Uh, drummers that both tragically died first. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, mm. if, if all you had to choose between were yeah the Who and Led Zeppelin, you know. Uh, yeah, it it definitely, you know, it, in in the deification of those of those groups, you know, you suddenly had all these sacred cows and everything that I think rock music meant to, uh, you know, wanted to disrupt, but then itself became, you know, the establishment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, I had a, <laughs> I had a thing I wanted to talk about with, um, oh God, uh, the talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, okay. But we, we don't have to talk about that. Um, that and the math. We can if you want. Um, I mean, that was just, the what? that was just about the name. Um, uh, okay. You know, in, in talented Mr. Ripley, uh, I, I've, I've talked to you a bit about this before, Joe, but like um, the the guy that um, Matt Damon's character uh, kind of is crushing on towards the end is, um, you know, this guy named Peter Smith Kingsley. Mm. And like, I just, I've never read the book, but like, I feel like I was meant to read so much into his name that he has a hyphenated last name. He is a, he is a gay guy in the 50s with a hyphenated last name. And like, what am I supposed yeah. to read into here? Is like his parents are probably like beatniks. Like he's, you know, he's not necessarily out in the sense that he can, you know, be official, but he is clearly comfortable in who he is. Um, and you know, he has friends that are girls but nobody thinks to look into it you know yeah it's like it's like that guy that like everybody's like oh yeah they're hanging out with all the ladies you know what a ladies man (laughs) 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 you know i I think that in and of itself you know because because in the text of the movie he is gay he's a you know and he and he's he's Uh a musician he has he's a fully fledged character um but like you don't get his backstory but i love that just about his last name that his last name is just supposed yeah. to tell you like he's not he's peter smith kingsley yeah he's british he's probably wealthy like all these other people but like <laughs> his parents probably aren't right wing like everyone else's parents in this yeah. movie mhm I mean, do you guys ever like sort of, 
I mean, like have that have that kind of like that kind of like detective work. Like so little is given to you about a character. You have to rely on that coding. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I think that's such a. It's so like minimal in itself to do, but it adds so much depth. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in a way, it's a better move than let's say giving talking cars tongues right which then questions anatomy <laughs> you're really hung up on the tongues it's weird man i mean it's, it's the only weird. part we see we could talk yeah. about other parts if you want to i don't do know the cars kiss do, do the cars kiss ever in cars i don't know probably i think they do do they oh, oh no i think i have to watch cars again uh-huh. well like I, don't they tell the the boy cars and the girl cars different by the eyelashes like you'd put on a bug? Oh, yeah, because everybody knows eyelashes <laughs> indicate. Only girls have eyelashes. Only girls okay, have I eyelashes. Um, yeah, I'd like to true. introduce you to a fellow named SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind Sponge's oh, having eyes. He has eyelashes. <laughs> and, and nice ones. Oh, yeah. Okay, listen. SpongeBob could be trans. We don't know. Mm, true. Well, you know, we SpongeBob and Patrick were meant to be a gay couple. Yeah, SpongeBob and Patrick, yeah. you know, in that episode where they they raised that clam together. They raised that little baby mm-hmm. scallop. Mhm. Who was Parents. the mom? Oh, yeah. It's true. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, you can <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm never quite sure what to figure out about what what SpongeBob God knows what SpongeBob was trying to tell us, you know. Honestly, <laughs> what he's still trying to tell us—that show's still running. Oh God! Yeah. Some sometimes I think it's a fever dream. Sometimes there's some good messages. Sometimes it's like being on DMT. I mean, if I don't think there was ever really a good message in SpongeBob, just some that weren't so questionable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love band geeks, like that is my that is oh, that is the pinnacle. Yeah, that is good. that is the best yes. episode of SpongeBob. What is the moral of that story that Squidward <laughs> that Squidward yelled at everyone, told everyone how bad they were, disa- was disappointed in them, in them for not helping him cover up a lie that he told, and then they show up at the end and give a legitimately great performance and save his butt when Squidward has not really done anything to deserve it. Um yeah, I mean, Squ- I mean, if you want to talk about coding, Squidward is the frustrated artist. Mm-hmm. He's underemployed. He clearly is multi-talented. Define talented. S- Squidward. Uh, true. I mean, in in the sense that he is prolific in many media. You know, okay. He's. Yeah. I think yeah. he's. You know, Squidward. You know, you you knew people in art school that like they dabble in a lot of different stuff and you know <laughs> they're 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 very low it's me <laughs> uh, you're talking to one right now hi joe <laughs> hi hi um you know and i think you know squidward squidward you think he's got a bfa and he's just you know he's underemployed working as a cashier like the rest of us probably will be uh, that hit too close to home uh, yeah yeah yeah. Maybe maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll get to be the manager of the restaurant one day if we get our MFAs. <laughs> Honestly, very true. Slim chance, though. Yeah. Let's be real. Mm. Yeah. I, it's 
yeah, I, I have, I don't know. Who does, who does Sandy represent? Uh, Republicans? I don't know. The entire state of Texas. <laughs> but she's very, in- Sandy seems to be very interested in STEM. I could see, you know. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know she, like, you know, I, I think we also all knew, like, Southern kids that, were more liberal minded just by the fact that they were super interested in science. I think that's a, that's a character yeah. I'll see. Yeah. It's a, it, you know, cause like there's definitely like movies like the master where Philip Seymour Hoffman is definitely L Ron Hubbard to the point that I mm-hmm. don't remember the name of his character in that movie. I just think <laughs> of him as L Ron Hubbard. Yeah. You know, John Malkovich and velvet buzzsaw where I don't remember, oh, I don't remember his name, but he is, He's pretty much Jackson Pollock. Yeah. Um, He's always got a drink in his hand in that movie. Yeah. Uh, He even, he sees a, he sees a painting so profound that he starts drinking again in front of it. Literally. (laughs) We'll talk. Okay. Well, we'll have to have a separate thing about velvet. Oh, for sure. I think that's a, that's a whole different exhibit. Yes. (laughs) I would, I would, I would love to hear Allison's opinion on velvet buzzsaw actually. For sure. Oh my yeah. god. Um, but what? Oh, just wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I th- there's there's definitely you know what guys if there's one thing there's a lot of ways to code stuff, and are true. Um, but you know we need to you know get to know people as people. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, if you, if you if you hadn't heard it before, you heard it here first, you know. Get to know people. <laughs> Get to know people, you know. Don't 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 judge them by, you know, their choice in footwear or graphic tees. Yeah. Unless it's Joe, then judge him. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Judge him harshly. Yes. Ouch. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like every visit to the Uncanny County Museum, it ends in a roast of you know him, you love him. Shimichanga Shimino himself. <laughs> yeah. Joe Shimino, more like Joe Chinaiso. He's a, he's a nice guy and we love having him on. Um too sweet. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh thank you so much for visiting the Uncanny County Museum today. I've been Zan Peters. I've been Joe Shimino. I've been Allison Dempsey. Bye. Bye.